0: All right, Ms. Vasquez, thank you very much for coming in today. Appreciate it. Um, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad you're here.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm so happy to be here on a Friday, nonetheless. Happy Friday to all my friends um, and non-friends and everyone else.
0: Happy Friday. I was telling my class last period that I think this stretch in the school year is one of the most difficult stretches because you've got so much going on. you got the musical that just started. You've got Silent Night Tonight. It's been a couple weeks in a row where it's five-day weeks, which I think, you know, it it gets exhausting. It's cold out. Half the class is sniffling. I asked them what they're doing this weekend. All all they said was sleep. So I'm hoping that uh, we can catch up on some sleep this weekend because it is, you know, it's it's been a long week, I think.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And, like, this, I don't know. I've been talking to Rob Hubick about this as well. Like, he was like, this time between... Like basically before we enter February, we haven't, we don't see spring break yet. Like we're technically, oh yeah, well I can count down the weeks till spring break, but it hurts a lot more. But once we're in February, it doesn't sting as much. Like, oh, five weeks until spring break, that's a little bit better than eight.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. And no signs of snow days, two-hour delays, nothing like that in the near future, it doesn't seem like. I don't think so. And that's like, it's just like, okay, we're, we're here. So we're did, <laughs> did you ever have any snow days when you were in California growing up? Snow no. like a foreign thing for you.
1: So snow snow was like a an urban myth. Like it was literally an urban legend. So like I'm from Palo Alto, um, and in the late 80s there was snow to where there was like kind of a snow day. So everyone will be like, oh, well there was once a snow day, once there was a snow day. in the 80s. Like we would have hail, and but then would nothing would happen when I was older in college we didn't have snow days we had fire days and they were much less fun because it was please don't go outside we are deciding to cancel athletic events we're deciding to cancel school because the air quality is too bad so we would have natural event days but they weren't fun they were
0: yeah it's terrifying it was
1: terrifying yes exactly wow
0: Um, Not even like flurries or heavy rain that's dangerous to drive in. Um, It's just always pretty nice in Palo Alto.
1: Yes. Uh, My freshman year of college, um, there were bad enough rains that they canceled finals. And that was like a big deal.
0: That is a big deal. And it was a
1: huge deal. And there was like there was concerns about flooding. And I remember I was, I went, my first school was Sonoma State, so I was like Sonoma State is about an hour and a half away from Palo Alto. So my parents were like, okay, are you going to drive home? When are you going to drive home? All of these things, please be careful. But yeah, like the weather is nice enough that this is a huge deal. And like <laughs> some people will remember it with fondness or perhaps professors will remember it with anger.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember, I remember um, my I think my sophomore year of college, we were supposed to go out. It was like a really exciting because we never – gone to california as a we're going to california as a team to play notre dame in san francisco mm-hmm. at one of my friend a couple guys on my team went to um what's the high school in san francisco uh so here's where i'm drawing a blank drawing blanks on a friday but it's um yeah i'm drawing a blank on it but it's a it's a high school in san francisco and it's i think it's known for it's a, it's a really good school but it's known for its sports too so they have a big athletic complex and um we we're supposed to go out there and play a game and it, the whole trip got canceled because of the wildfires there were really really yeah. bad wildfires i think in 2016 maybe or 17 yeah um yeah so that that happens really really often out there
1: yeah yeah and then, of course with everything with global warming and things it's gotten worse and things are climate change but um yeah i remember it was less of a big deal or we were more removed from it when i was younger and the older i've gotten and maybe there is like a trend of like maturity and awareness um but it has definitely gotten worse
0: yeah um, years. so do you get back out to california much now
1: or? um when I was in school, or like when I was in grad school, so I did grad school at University of Washington, so Seattle. Um, I was able to go home a little bit more often. Ever since moving back to Balt, or not back to moving to Baltimore, um, I haven't gone back as much. I went for winter break. Um, the Thanksgiving break was just a little bit too short. It didn't feel yeah. reasonable to go. Like you have, you're in Philly, right? Or like outside of Philly, like it's easier Easy. for you. Like it's like oh. oh. Almost like a plane would be ridiculous. Like a drive is more reasonable, whereas it's like, okay, I need to commit a whole day to go there and then a whole day to go back. Um, so well, it's, it's really to expensive justify. too. My yeah. sis-
0: my sister lives out in Tacoma, Washington, and I've been trying to get out there. I've never been to Washington before, yeah. but the flights prices are insane. Yeah, you know? no, it's awful.
1: So then uh, you add that and it's like, okay, well, is this really worth this much? And I love my parents. I love them very much. Um, I can talk to them on the phone.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, what was it like going to school in Washington?
1: Um, it was good. It was hard. so I uh, I was doing my master's in pure math. Um, so I joke to people that there's like that legally blonde scene um right after she sends in her admissions video and the admissions committee is like, Do you think she just woke up one day and said, I'm gonna go to law school? And that's kind of how I was when I decided to go to grad school. It's kind of like, maybe I'll just go to grad school. So it was like a really hard adjustment because I didn't really think too much about the process in there and then coming in. Um, and, um, when you have seasonal depression in California, it doesn't get worse when you move to Seattle where it's overcast more often and Mm -hmm. the days are shorter in the winter. So it was a really hard adjustment. Um, the school that I got my degree from, um, I learned a lot, it was rigorous. UW is like a whole other level. So it Mm -hmm. was just this change in rigor that I just wasn't expecting. And it just made me realize I don't love math. I don't love math enough to commit to the idea of like a PhD or to commit to studying it for the rest of my life. So it was like this hard morning moment for me of like, this isn't what I want to do. So it was like hard because of that.
0: Got it. Okay. But it's really
1: green and beautiful.
0: Uh-oh. Yeah, when it's when it's nice out, right? When it's yeah. not raining. Oh,
1: the summer is awesome because also like that round earth thing. The days are short in the winter, and the days are so long in the summer. Mm-hmm. So it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It was just hard for me emotionally to be there because I was like realizing this isn't where I want it to be. Yeah. yeah. Professionally.
0: Makes sense. So when you first went, were you, was did you have in your mind that I might become a math professor someday? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Like the goal was, oh, I'll teach. I'll get a PhD, I'll teach math um, at a college level, all of that stuff. And then it just was like, oh, first of all, I just don't like math enough. I'm struggling in these classes and I don't love it enough to work through the struggle. Like I struggle, like I'll work through the struggle to get there, but I'm not relishing in it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, the best part of my day is TAing. Mm -hmm. Like I only loved interacting with interacting with students being a teaching assistant like teaching the class or like helping teach the class and stuff like that And then I was like, oh So maybe I shouldn't be in a trying to follow a track that has me doing this research and this math part Maybe I should be focusing on the other part
0: makes sense So when you were in college and did you study math in college too? So yeah. So maybe you didn't realize this in college because it was manageable and you were in the right place with the with people who were on your level. Exactly. But when you go to a master's program like this, it sounds like master's in pure math. These people love math yeah. to an extreme degree.
1: 100% that. And also, um, actually, if you had I graduated in winter of 2019, if you had talked to Camila Vasquez of 2018 almost any time, she would have said, I am going to a teaching credential program. I wanted to teach high school. Um, And not only am I going into a teaching credential program, I know exactly what high school I'm going to teach at, I'm going to teach at my old high school, I'm going to take on the role of being director of the speech and debate program, like I had it all planned out. And then one professor was like, what about grad school? What if you really love algebra and you want to teach kids algebra? And maybe not even kids anymore, but like young adults, like high school, college students. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, okay, well, what can it hurt to try?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So then that was kind of like the path. So like a few years before then, I was actually gung-ho to teach at the high school level. And then I sort of took a detour.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your high school, because I've heard about Palo Alto High School. I know it's a, you know, it's kind of a big deal out there, right? It's a public school, yeah. but it's right in palo alto right across the street from stanford i believe Mm -hmm. right yeah so what is that what is it like what was it like there for you to go there and did you enjoy your high school experience
1: yeah i so palo alto high school or pali um as we commonly called it (laughs) for those in the know um it was really interesting. It was an interesting experience. Um, I actually wasn't supposed to go to Pali. I was supposed to go to Gunn High School, which is like our neighboring, like in the same city. Um, my sister graduated from Gunn High School and Gunn is much more high stress. And Pali is also a high stress, high performing environment. And I saw my sister go through what she went and High school, and I was like, I don't know if I want to go through that. And my sister is like seven or eight years older than me, so I also dramatized it. I was what in fourth grade, and I was seeing all of these things, and I just didn't really understand how to process them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I interpreted this as sort of, I don't want to be at this school. I want to go somewhere else. So I went to Pali. It was good. Um, it was just really hard, like, being in such a driven, high-motivated space was in a high stress and high intensity space. I remember having conversations with my friends that were like, "Oh, well, I don't know if I like my 2240 SAT score." And this was when the SAT was still at a 2400 yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh, friend, I got an 1800." <laughs> right, right. Um and sort of pros- like being in that space was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know when I made my choice that I was going to go to Sonoma State, I got weird looks from teachers and stuff. So in the California college university system, we have like the California state universities, we have the UC, UC system in our both of our public like schools. And the UCs are viewed as of higher quality and higher caliber. And that's not entirely true for a wide variety of reasons. But that's what the general consensus is. So when people were like, Oh, well, you got into a UC, but you went into it, you went to a CSU, I can't believe you would do that. And I was like, "Well, because I felt good at my school I walked, because I walked onto that campus and I felt like I could belong. Whereas when I walked onto other campuses, I felt like I couldn't. So I don't know what to tell you. Right, right. Um, so that was just hard. It was different. Um, I think I made I, I made friends there. I felt like I belonged. Um, I did a lot of speech and debate stuff there. And that really like got me through it. And that's where I met my mentor who's been mentoring me both actively and casually since then. She's been basically one of the most consistent adults in my life. Um, but yeah, it was different.
0: I can imagine having Stanford I, and I've been to Stanford's right across the street. Yes. You know? Right across the street. I can imagine that had a huge impact on the, the competitive spirit of Palo Alto. Oh, in addition, wow. probably to just the area in general.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it added a lot of competitive spirit. Um, it was actually part of like my being at Stanford, that's not my being at Stanford. My being at Pali was like when I came to Gilman and I like, walked into these spaces, I was like, oh, I am familiar mm-hmm. <laughs> with the stress that these students are under. Um, I have lived this stress. This is a stress that I have a, I find a kindred spirit in. Mm. Um, and some of some students take it their stress in a very different way than how I handled my stress. but yeah, like this is this is not a new environment and this high performance um, need or drive. Is not new to me. Yeah. But it is very similar to that of Gilman at times.
0: So you were very much involved in speech and debate in high school and beyond. Yeah. Why did that interest you? I want to talk about math too, but speech and debate seems like a passion of yours.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was a big um, speechy um, is what we called them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Pally speechy.
1: Yeah. I was a pally speechy. That's exactly what I was. (laughs) Yeah. so I started speech and debate my sophomore year of high school. Um, I had a friend who was like, Camila, you she specifically, she was trying to recruit me for impromptu, which we gave an assembly about. But that was where you have two minutes to prep a five minute speech. And she was like, you would love that you and talk about whatever you want. And in the state of California, we have a whole bunch of other events. Um, the way I like to think about speech and debate is kind of it's like track and field where this is like their umbrella terms and there are these sub-events that sort of like more details and we can all of these things. In the state of California, there are more events than Maryland than other a lot of other states. There's this event called Original Prose and Poetry where you would write and perform a 10-minute piece, either prose or poetry. A lot of people turned it into miniature plays And I wrote about whatever I wanted to. Like, most of the time, my pieces were, like, stream of consciousness, humorous, processing. um, And I would perform them, like— Ten minutes? Ten minutes, memorized. Wow. And blocked, like, acted out and stuff. Um,
0: Hmm. You see, I would like to do something like that in my English classes, but ten minutes seems like— Ten minutes is a really long time. (laughs) It's a long time.
1: It's a really, really long time. And, like— We would work on one piece each year. So like you would write one piece in August or September and then that would carry you through. You would go to competitions with it. You would work on it. You would work on blocking. You would work on delivery. You would work on mood. You would work on like the acting component of it and you would also work on the writing component of it of like, oh yeah, I can't say damn anymore. Like the judges are getting mad at me. Like I need to figure out another Mm -hmm. word to replace this. Um, Mm -hmm. And that really took me through I kind of like was this as cool in sophomore year junior year I was on like management or like I was like on leadership with that team with the club um my senior year I kind of became like an assistant coach and then at the time the director of the bay program was like okay well if you go to school locally we'd love to have you coach for us and then there was one day where I like drove for a travel tournament and then when I, when my time at Sonoma State came to an end and I went to community college nearby my home, I was a coach for them. And then my, my the director was like, I wanna make you assistant director because we know that this is something that you wanna do. And she, at some point she was like planning on training me essentially to take her role. Um,
0: so so these exercises that you come up with or give out when you're a coach, yeah. um, what are some of those exercises? I like the idea of writing a a two-minute speech in five minutes or yeah. something like that. But how do you, I guess, get a group of people to focus on something specifically that they can give a speech or do a debate about?
1: Yeah. So when I'm doing speech club or debate club at Gilman, I use like a random topic generator and I'll say, okay, of these three topics, you have two minutes, prepare a speech. Um, And as a group, we'll do that. And sometimes they will give a speech, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it'll just be, okay, what would have been your three main points? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of impromptu speaking is basically co-opting classic, classic, somewhat dated English practices of we're just going to do a five-paragraph essay of, like, these are the three points. Here's Here's an intro. intro. Here's a conclusion, Um, because that's the easiest format to sort of hold on to mm-hmm. in your mind, especially in that like limited two-minute prep time. Um, I'm also highly aware of all of my ums and likes in this moment because I'm highly aware of filler words. We used to do a drill, I don't, I haven't done this at Gilman, where everyone would have crumpled up pieces of paper. It was a snowball drill. So then a brave, confident person would come up and stand and give their impromptu speech. And every time they said a filler word, you got to throw pieces Ooh. of paper at them. I like, um, <laughs> that. I like that. <laughs> Which, I've always, I've, I've always been hesitant to do as a, the t- adult in the room, but I always loved to do when I was a kid in the room. So, perhaps today, I'll do that with a brave.
0: I think that's volunteer. Awesome. So I think this whole topic of having to deliver a speech to a group of people is going to become even more important because you know i'm thinking about the chat gpt and the fact that you could that that's just part of yeah. the reality now is that you could just write in topics on this thing and it will generate an essay for you and yeah you could change it around you can add your own flair to it but the fact is that chat gpt exists now which yeah. is i think you know people are talking about how disruptive it is but i think it is even more so than we think because it's going to get even more impressive And there probably are versions of it that are more impressive. And I'm trying to think about how, as an English teacher, I could, you know, teach students, like, would actually, does it matter that you have to be able to write a five-paragraph essay now? I think it does, but I'm also aware of this. I'm not going to pretend like ChatGPT doesn't exist. And I think delivering speeches and and going up in front of people and not having filler words, which I still, I mean, I think the podcast helps me a little bit with that, but... I still say like and um and all that. I think that's an awesome exercise Yeah. for just the reality of today, you know?
1: Yeah. Can you stay true to the energy or to the faith and to the goal of a five-paragraph essay, even though, yes, we can have ChatGPT write a pretty solid five-paragraph essay. Can you deliver an equivalent of a five-paragraph essay with the acknowledgement and with the knowledge of when you're public speaking? There's things you need to keep in mind, like... um. Of course, the word is leaving my mind, even though I say it all the time, signposting.
0: Signposting. Yeah. So
1: I use the phrase signposting in the sense that when you're reading an essay, when you're reading any one of your students' essays, if you get lost, you can always rewind a little bit and you can read what happened. In a speech, you can't just rewind. Mm -hmm. So someone needs to be like, okay, well, I'm going to be talking about this, this, and this. And then now, okay, well, I'm talking about A. Okay, I'm done with A. I'm going to talk about B. And you can do that in a smooth way. You can do that in like a very clunky way, just like how I demonstrated. But the idea is that we need to be able to realize and transform these written things into a delivery that tracks and makes sense for our human brains when we're listening to it, when we're presenting our thoughts. hmm
0: do you uh, do you show any model speeches or debates to give students an example of what a really strong yeah. speech, for instance, looks like?
1: I have. Um, there also have been times where I've just been like, let's see what happens. And there are some really strong impromptu speakers and extemporaneous speakers in my Friday debate club. So I don't feel the need to give an example because my example is all right. Watch Nick Kletzky. Watch Patrick Ryan. Um, Mm -hmm. they're going to give you an awesome example watch matthew G. like they're going to do awesome and there's going to be our debate squad is much smaller so i did have them watch a practice debate like i watch had them watch the nationals debate because we don't have public forum debaters at this school so i couldn't give a practice debate Mm -hmm. but hopefully next year i'll be able to say okay i want I don't even know off the top of my head but i want these two debaters to debate one of their favorite resolutions of last year as an example for the previous like for these new kids to see what's going on
0: so how big is the how many students are in this debate club here
1: yeah um it varies by day we have a really small speech squad uh so far it's two kind of three kids in the speech group we have limited prep events that's a little bit larger. It's like five and I think there's like 10 or 12 in who come regularly like regularly to debate.
0: So I've been doing the advising for Model UN and it sounds very similar because you're kind of doing the same thing You've got a country and then a topic or a issue in that country and you have to debate it You have to talk about it. And yeah, we just did a Model UN conference at Yale this past weekend which actually went really really well. Um, I think they enjoyed it, and I think, you know, I've been impressed with the Model UN crew because a lot of these students, they, they've they got things that they're passionate about. They're really smart. They enjoy working on the issues and learning about the issues. Um, I think that, that Gilman does a really good job providing a lot of different opportunities for the type of kids that like, you know, maybe not competition in the athletic on the field type of way, but competition in trying to figure out uh, – the truth of issues and what's better for the future. And I, I, I've i enjoyed it. You know, I kind of got thrown into that position as Model UN advisor, but it's been pretty cool to be a part of.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think that Model UN and debate kind of don't really compete, but they do draw from similar types of kids, but also appeal to different kids based on the different. Like I think they pull from similar groups and yet – we attract different. Like we're not competing directly, um, mm-hmm. which I think is also kind of nice. It's sort of okay. Well, if you're really interested in thinking about these kinds of things, maybe Model UN might be a better fit for you. Or if you're really not that interested in this, maybe debate would be a or more mock
0: trial. Maybe or
1: mock trial too. That also pulls from a similar group. You're so right. Um,
0: so, so what types of I guess you use that idea generator to come up with some issues to debate? But
1: d- yeah. So we actually. I'll use the topic generator to come up with like topics um, to have a speech about. Debating, um, we have an, a governing group that is the National Speech and Debate Association, and they release topics about every month or two months. So, I we just had kids at a tournament debating the United States involvement. No, should increase its diplomatic efforts to. Resolve internal armed conflict in West Asia. So that is not a resolution that I came up with. That is a resolution that the National Speech and Debate Association came up with. And that is a thing that it was like they debated about. Um, most re- currently we are focusing on the resolution in the United States, right to work laws have done more harm than good, which mm-hmm. is really interesting because we had to dive into what are unions, what are right to work laws, what are Like, what does it mean for me to write to work state and sort of diving into what that resolution really does end up boiling down to. Um, Last year, I was really excited about this resolution. What's fascinating to me is that the kids were way less impressed by it was um, it was about great power competition. So it was something, something. Basically, we have there are more benefits than harms. Uh, with the United States' involvement in great— or, like, the United States' strategy of great power competition has had more benefits than harms. And then we get to have a conversation of, like, well, what do we mean by benefits and harms? Who is benefiting? Who is being harmed? We can talk about this from an international point, from a national point, from— there's so many arguments that can be framed, Mm -hmm. which I thought was so cool. And I think that also speaks to my first— love debate which was lincoln douglas which um, is very values-based and philosophy-based and we think a lot about well should this be happening how are we going to frame this debate whereas i think the kids were more like okay well i just don't want to think about how we're going to frame the debate i just want to have a debate right now (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but so so a lot
0: of these issues that come up they're not just you know uh light issues they're real issues that are happening in the country and in the world that you have to do a lot of research and learn a lot of different Yes. Aspects of before you engage in conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, both myself and the kids. Like I had, I don't, I know a little bit about unions, but I don't know enough about unions to like explain, resol- like explain the resolution. So I had to do research about that. And I had to do research about great power competition. Um, and like these are public forum is a f- type of debate that was literally invented to talk about public or talk about current event and to talk about current topics. Um, many many years ago and this is one of my favorite resolutions it was right when Catalonia was having their independence vote and it was like should Spain grant Catalonia independence Like that was literally what these like high schoolers were debating and of course there's just like a lot of nuances there obviously no matter how much research you do when you have a month of that research you can't even start to begin to start to understand the depth of history that is Catalonia and Spain in general But I just remember that entire resolution was just so cool. And it really was like, oh, that's such a cool resolution because literally in the next year, that resolution doesn't matter anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Whereas these current resolutions, probably there will be an ongoing conversation about all of them, which Mm -hmm. is still really cool. But I don't know. I think there's something really magical and really wild about the idea of there's a resolution that you can only debate in a certain time frame because in a year it'll be old
0: news. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. That's cool. Um, so it seems like you know your interest in math, and your love for math and your passion for speech and debate usually those two sides of the brain are kind of an unlikely combination.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I have said this to my students so I don't feel bad about saying this on the air on the record is I hated math when I was in high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I in middle school in the state of California, I actually really don't know if this is true, but, and I don't know how I found this out. At some point, I decided that I could get my parents to excuse me from any math after Algebra 2 if they just signed a piece of paper. And I probably, because it's a public school, because it's all of these things, they could have, that probably is a true thing. But I tried to get my parents to excuse me. I did not want to take anything after Algebra 2. Like, that's how much I hated math. And my dad very wisely said, you know, you should wait a year. Hold on a year because he knew that I would forget about it, which I did. Um, but I really, really hated math. I did not like math in high school. When I went to Sonoma State, I took modern geometry, which was basically the equivalent of the geometry class we take sophomore year in high school.
0: Did you have to? Room. Was it? Was it? It like was like a for requisite? a general. It was yeah. like a general
1: ed requirement. Um, I could have gotten away with not taking it. I could have taken some other stats or econ type class and I said this is the last math class I'm ever going to take in my life Mm. and I loved it really it was incredible um so these two column proofs that we learned about in sophomore year those aren't real proofs proofs are a story and I think that spoke to me a lot about we're just writing a story we're writing an argument that spoke to that speech and debate part of me in a more logical way I don't even need to worry about silly things like what other people have to say to me or what reasonable arguments someone might have. I can just make my argument based firmly in logic.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that was beautiful to me and incredible. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And I remember that class, my professor was like, why aren't you a math major? Because at the time I had just declared an anthropology major. I was like, well, math is too hard. And he was like, you're, you're able to do the math part. Like, the math part is not hard for you.
0: <laughs> so the proofs that you were doing, and this is in college, yeah. the proofs you were doing are were more black and white black but still had white. the element of argument yes. within them.
1: Yes. And, like, I, am, I don't have any more of the things anymore because I probably, unless I'm still, I think my mom at some point got rid of all of these old homework assignments because she got tired of having all these papers around. But... I probably could walk into honors geometry. I could walk into a geometry class at this school. And I bet that there was a proof that I wrote. And it would have been very similar to any proof that a student at Gilman in one of those classes wrote, just in an essay format instead of a two-column proof. And I think there was something about that that it was like, oh, well, this is familiar but different. Like, this is familiar but challenging. I'm forcing myself to turn these bullet points into a real sentence into an argument into all of these things and i just thought that that was so cool Mm -hmm. and so beautiful and i was like man i missed out on a lot i spent a lot of time hating this thing (laughs) when it was really just i wasn't being it wasn't being taught or i wasn't being explained to me or i don't know what was it
0: the teacher that did it or was it just the the fact of the yeah both the professor was awesome okay Uh, the professor was
1: great um zach semblin um so super I, cool guy so i
0: always think about that is a lot of uh your love for a subject depends on the teacher. depends on the teacher and yeah. i think that's really true because you know I, I had a physics teacher in high school that i just he wasn't a very he didn't seem that passionate he didn't seem that into it he wasn't that excitable i didn't really get along with him that well and you know i don't have any fond memories of physics when i think if i studied it now and looked at it like that's co- really cool why does yeah. you know why does the ball rolling in the grass slow down at yeah. some point? Or, you know, all of physics, I think I could get really, really into now if I had had just someone who who pushed me a little bit more, got me excited about it.
1: Yeah. No, so- 100%. I think the professor really, really, like, mailed at home. He was awesome. I remember he would he had, like, math tattoos. <laughs> I was, like, fascinated by that. I remember college you're a freshman you're gonna be a little bit annoying um I remember I showed up in pajamas and that's like a normal thing it was like an 8 a.m 9 a.m class it was an early morning class but he made fun of me and he but like in a fun way he was like oh this is this and then when he heard my name he was like Camila that's like the Star Wars planet (laughs) and we just like what this was like this running joke and then a few weeks after I showed up in my pajamas and he made fun of me he goes he's telling the story of oh yeah I took my daughters to In-N-Out and I was in my pajamas, and I thought to myself, "This must be what it's like to be Camille," <laughs> and it was just so funny. And it was like such a like a heartwarming environment, mm-hmm. and like these little stories that I still distinctly remember. Um, so many years ago, uh, he was just an awesome, awesome guy. Um, I later saw him, and I was too scared to uh, approach him. I went to like a little mini math conference, and he gave a really cool piece of like a really cool speech or. Not speech. He gave a talk. He gave a talk about his most recent research. And I saw him, and I was like, I think you were my old professor. But I was, like, really scared to approach him because he was in big professor. Gotcha. Big feet mode. And I was like, oh, I don't want to.
0: Does he know that you became a math teacher?
1: Uh, He knows that I picked up a math major. Um, I don't know if he knows that I became a math teacher.
0: So how did you, I guess, so you went to UW Mm -hmm. and— Tried that master's program, and you completed the master's program. Yeah. How did you get to Gilman? What was yeah. that story?
1: Yeah. So this is um this is a very mathematical analytical story, which is I was like, okay, I don't like how short the days are here, and I was like, and I would joke, I was like, okay, well, I can never live above the forty fifth parallel. And then I was like, okay, but which parallel can I actually not live above? So then I figured out which latitudinal line resulted in days in the winter that I deemed long enough for me. Mm-hmm. So basically, like, I wouldn't want to live. I'm sure New Hampshire is a very great state, but I realized that the days are too short for me there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, like, worked my way down, figured out this cutoff line, and then I was like, okay, well, what cities south of this line do I envision myself working at mm-hmm. or working in? Baltimore was one of those cities. Um, and I d- when at the t- when I started my process... I didn't have any guidance because my professors were like, Oh, you want to be a high school teacher? That, I mean, that's great. Good for you. We can't really help you. Like, I didn't know about the NAS job board. I didn't know about AIMS. I didn't know about Because they were all
0: becoming professors. They that, were all becoming yeah. professors.
1: They were help supporting they were supporting their like their kid their students get postdocs. They weren't supporting someone mm-hmm. trying to get into this field. So what I did is I went to niche.com, which is basically like for parents.
0: I've heard of niche.
1: And I would go through the websites, each individual website, and if there was a math opening, then I would send my um, my resume there. Um, at some point, eventually, I found some like I found the NIS job board, and it was like much more streamlined. But my first ten applications were sent by happenstance, by pure luck of. Being like, oh, well, I guess I maybe, I could see myself maybe living in Atlanta. So then going on a niche and saying, Atlanta, this is where I want to, oh, I could see myself living in Baltimore, Baltimore. And Did like, you know
0: anything about Baltimore? Or? Oh, I knew nothing. No.
1: No, I knew nothing. Oh.
0: <laughs> You're just like, it's south of that line. Yeah. So.
1: yeah, I'll figure it out if I get an offer um, and I'll see what happens. And then, uh, yeah.
0: That's cool. So I think... Two things. One is, I think it's so true because I went to college in Boston and the, the weather is, I mean, it has such a profound impact. And you don't think about that. Like, I would think about the students here that are going off to college next year. Yeah. That's never a consideration, you know, yeah. is, I mean, sometimes, you know, what the weather's like if you're going to Florida, or you're going to Texas, yeah. but usually it's like the school. Am I happy at the school? Are the professors good? There's a good social scene. Is it a, uh, you know well-known school am i going to get a good job after uh maybe you're thinking about how much it costs the finances of it but the the weather i think is such on the day-to-day level is such a huge aspect and has such an impact on your well-being yeah um and i experienced that you know when i went to this model un conference at yale and new haven last weekend i was like oh my gosh it's rainy it's snowy and this is such a great school it's a beautiful school but I knew so many people that were so unhappy in yeah. college because of the the weather.
1: No, 100%. Yeah, and then I was just, like, thinking about that, and I was thinking about my grad school experience, experience, and I was like, okay, in a perfect world, excuse, sorry, excuse me, this is going to be where I move to start a life. So where do I want to start a life? Do I want to start a life where I know I'm going to be miserable, or do I want to start a life where I can build tools to be less miserable? Because, yeah, yeah. Baltimore is sometimes overcast, especially in the winter. I'm not saying that this is the most perfect climate or anything. No, no. But that was something I've really seriously thought about is where do, I, where do I envision myself potentially long-term, hopefully long-term, thriving? Mm-hmm.
0: And what was it like, I guess, coming to Baltimore for the first time? What surprised you about it? What uh, what was interesting to you about Baltimore? Do you like it?
1: I love Baltimore. I yeah. think Baltimore
0: is awesome. Um, I really love being here.
1: I the first time i came here was with my parents we flew across in june of 2021 maybe july of 2021 i that was the first time i stepped foot on gilman because i did all my interviewing virtually cuz it was i was the straight out of like that covid that the big covid year that's when i was doing my interviewing um so it was all virtual um and so seeing there being there in june first of all perfect week to be there everyone was joking that we brought the California weather if you remember June 2021 there was a week and I'm being silly right now but like there was this week of beautiful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm non-mugginess Brian Ledger was like you brought the California weather with you (laughs) there you go yeah um and we were there and it was really interesting I grew up in Palo Alto was a very white town um and the diversity in Baltimore really struck me in that moment of like, oh, I don't think I've ever been in a, di- like in an, actually a diverse place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really struck me. Um, just also just like the East coast difference, the same thing as also just like the friendliness of people. I, especially coming out of Seattle, people aren't like the Seattle freeze is real. Um, mm-hmm. and I was just like, wow, this is really cool. This is a cool place. i um, Excited to be here and like when we were touring apartments like the people who were showing us the apartments Were always so kind and I toured a lot of apartments when I was looking for places in Seattle and They were never that kind Hmm. (laughs) and there were just little things that made it like wow This is a cool place to like start to build a community for myself.
0: Love it Um, Yeah, it's funny because I don't really see I mean, I hear from my sister a little bit about hiking and Tacoma, Seattle area. My sister's in the military out there, so it might be a little bit different. But I don't think she's really raving about Seattle and Tacoma as a place. Like, I don't think she really, like, loves it.
1: Yeah, I think it's an awesome place to visit. And I'm happy that I spent two years there. And I don't know if I could do more than that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Is Seattle a cool city? Is it a cool town?
1: Yeah, we've got the Gum Wall. We've got, like, Pike's Place. Like, there are cool things there.
0: Pike's Place is, like, the first Starbucks, right?
1: Yeah. And like the first Starbucks is a cool thing. I get to joke and be like, oh, I'm shopping locally. (laughs) Um, There's like cool, I think that like the makeup of Seattle is really cool in the sense that it's just the city that's divided by the sound and we sort of just make it work. And I think that's really cool. I think the bridges are fun, but in general, like yeah, I like it to visit. And I will be happy. My sister just moved there as well, actually, and I'll be happy to visit her Mm -hmm. and I don't plan on living
0: (laughs) Oh, she moved your sister moved there. Yeah, my
1: sister just moved there.
0: Hmm. Yeah. What does she do? She's
1: a professor at the University of Washington. Oh,
0: right. You told me about her. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she's she's
0: a very niche uh, area of math or science, right?
1: Something engineering, either bioengineering or chemical engineering. No, I bet you it's bio. I okay. think it's bioengineering. That's where she's, that's her department.
0: Okay. Yeah. And it's pretty hard to understand niche.
1: Um, She understands, she studies how cells make tube shapes.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, she's writing a dissertation on that or a or a paper on that.
1: She is working on a paper, but also like she's done with dissertations. Like she's living her best life. She's... Tenure track um, assistant professor. Um, she's gonna have to write papers for the tenure part, but not for the. She she earned that doctor.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Okay, yeah. she's full time. She's full time professor.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what what attracted to you about I guess Gilman's all boys aspect and yeah. just the culture at Gilman School? Yeah. What did you like about it when you first yeah. came here?
1: So actually, um, funnily enough. So, my undergraduate degree is from Mills College. Um, Mills College doesn't really exist in its current entity anymore. Uh, Mills College was a historically women's college. Uh, they recently were bought up by Northeastern. Yeah, Northeastern. Um, but I think a lot of my friends were really stunned by this why would you go to an all boys school? Like, you, <laughs> you're like that. They were very rich in the irony. And honestly, when I started my job search, my dream was to be at an all-girls school in Atlanta Georgia like they had a very specific dream um and then I quickly just like was like pivoting and I sent in my application to Gilman and I had a phone conversation with Jeff Guline. and first it was he talked about how he supports like how Gilman supports new teachers and all of the things that he was saying about supporting and like learning and growing and basically this idea of, like, you don't need to be a good teacher your first year. will help you get you there. You just need to have, like, the what it, like, that factor and will get you to the actual great teacher part mm-hmm. was really, it brought me a lot of hope and was really validating for me as someone who is naturally an incredibly anxious person and was like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and then I had a conversation with Brian, um, and it was just lovely, and it was this community of supportive supporting boys and supporting students to grow. And I thought, okay, if I was going to be at an all-boys school, that's the kind of all-boys school that I would want to go to, where we have conversations about masculinity um, in a flavor that's not classic toxic masculinity, where we talk about how we're caring for each other in a culture of support and all of these things. And I thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I can just see what happens. And I came here. And again, it was, again, that culture of support, culture of care. And yeah, my first year I had two coordinated classes. So, and then only one all boys class. I was on a three year or three class schedule. Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of easing into the all boys culture. Um, And I really love it. I'm really happy to be here and... Sitting in assembly and seeing like oh like the the hoisting and all of that stuff it's like strong energy but it's not overwhelming and it just again like we're just supporting each other mm-hmm. and that brings me a lot of joy and that is a space that I wanted to be in and there or I guess I realized that I wanted to continue being in.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I didn't know you taught court. I didn't know there was coordinated. Uh, Classes for the math department.
1: Yeah, so I taught. So we have senior classes that are coordinated. Um, some senior classes. So I taught two calculus classes, and moving forward, I think there will only be one coordinated math class because there's going to be a coordinated math class at Bryn Mawr. Um, but I had two coordinated calc classes, and it was awesome. And like, they were just like so kind and supportive and really generous with me as a first-time teacher, Mm -hmm. as I was learning the ropes, as I was developing curriculum and things like that. It was just, it was a great experience.
0: That's awesome. And it seems like you must teach, I mean, calculus is high level for sure for for high school. I think I took calculus either junior or senior year of high school, but it was hard. It was hard for me. But you, I mean, the fact that you have Jeffrey Howard and you have a two-person class, it seems like you're teaching some really, really high-level math classes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm teaching, like, mostly senior and junior-level classes and mostly, like, mostly flavors of calc and then that post-BC calc or, like, concurrent BC calc type elective class it's actually strongly inspired by all of the combinatorics classes that i took both in undergrad and grad school I mean, we're using the same textbook that i used um that's what the focus of my master's was my master's focus was um with the con like i did like, masters of science but the concentration in mm-hmm. combinatorics um
0: com- what is com- it com- <laughs> com-
1: <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> combinatorics so combine a torics. Combinatorics.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, math is so out of my yeah. let's count house. things.
1: How can we count things? Um, like you go to Baskin Robbins and there's 31 flavors at Baskin Robbins allegedly. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna get a double scoop because you're feeling you're feeling like you want a double scoop. How many different fla- like how many different flavor combinations are there?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But since you're getting a cone, the order matters because you know. That mint chop mint mint chocolate chip on top of anything, right? Messes up the flavors. So how many distinct ooh, distinct flavors are there? That's a really simple introductory combinatorics problem.
0: Oh wow! Okay. So- but then
1: we just like escalate it, and we're like, okay, well, what if there were n flavors, and there's three things, but you can't choose mint chocolate chip unless it's in this case, in this case, in this case.
0: Um, I thought that was... So don't you use factorials for that, yeah, is that yeah, true? Yeah,
1: exactly. It is factorials. Like a lot of... Some of combinatorics is factorials, right? Actually, just yesterday, um, we were writing some choose functions. We were making equations and functions that in, involved combinatorics and... Or not that didn't involve combinatorics, it involved the permutation, the choose function.
0: Um, and you can do all this on the graphing calculator, right? This is, just, oh, you it's just easy. plug yeah. it in. Um, do you
1: have to sometimes. write anything out ever? Yeah, we write everything. Oh, you do. Yeah, we just write it on the board. Huh. We just do a lot of board work. Wow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, all right. So, and then pure math. What is pure math?
1: Yeah. So the like we mathematicians. Um,
0: pure math.
1: Someone's gonna get mad at me for saying this, but like. Once upon a time, there was a lot of ego floating around in the mathematics community, and there still is some ego, but there was (laughs) a lot more ego like a hundred years ago. And they decided okay, basically, physics or like applied, like theoretical physics, or just thinking about math as it applies to real life situations, that's not real math. We're going to call that applied math. And then everything else is pure math. Okay. Um so pure math is like the ultimate umbrella term, but we can say like parts of calculus are pure math or like proving and like justifying parts of calculus are pure math. But um the the work problems and the related rates problems and the applications, mm, that's a great example of applied math. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm saying I'm being very general in this case, but sort of a lot of stats tends to be thought of usually we think about this in applied math contexts of like biology or social science sciences and things like that um there's a lot of like intersection between biology and mathematics so like cell growth and things like that Mm -hmm. that's applied math but Mm -hmm. if we're thinking about if we have all of these circles and we're like in this space this book for example we're sticking this book and all of the circles need to be here, what is the maximum amount of circles we can put, that has an application of perhaps like what is the maximum amount of cells we can put on a single layer. Mm -hmm. But if we're just talking about packing the circles and we're not thinking about the cells, that can be an example of like the pure math to applied math distinction. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So when I was doing my studies, there was a lot of just generalization and we just wouldn't really think about where this applies in any sort of way. We were just like, okay, here's this function or here's this Galois group and all of these cr- ridiculous, awful
0: So out- outside of teaching, has there been a time maybe recently or just in your life where, you know, you're with a bunch of people and they're trying to figure something out, whether it's like, you know, I don't know, you're building something, you're constructing something and you're the mathematician in the room and you've had to lean on a lot of your skills to solve the, the issue?
1: Um, I think there was, like, maybe one time, like, I don't know, they jokingly are like, okay, well, you're going to be in charge of the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to yeah. split it up. Like, yeah. I did that a lot. Um, and There was one time when I was figuring out my roommate, my first roommate at the university when I was at UW, she, we realized our rooms were not the same size, so we were thinking about how can we – figure out how we should be splitting rent because the rooms were not the same size to a very large extent. So we created some sort of like waiting situation and we made, um, we got the property manager to measure the, get the dimensions of each room. So we had square footage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess like I've done that before, Um, but then at the same time, like I remember that whole situation I solved with like using a spreadsheet, Mm -hmm. like putting it into Excel.
0: I think it's really interesting some of my friends when we were applying for jobs were into the consulting track and they all did the consulting interviews which Are basically like you sit across from someone. This is, you know, it's probably more complicated than this but I know that a lot of the questions in a consulting interview are Case-based, you know, and someone will ask you like how many windows are on the Empire State Building and You have to just sit there and with a sheet of paper come up with an answer for the person. Yeah, and um you know, I just always found that fascinating. that's not really how my brain works, but I love kind of hearing stories about people figuring out some number or some range of numbers that they can reply back to the interviewer. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Consulting is just an interesting profession in general t- to me because I don't really even know what goes on there. But yeah. I think some of the real-world problems to this math-minded math, um, math minded person are fascinating to, yeah. to learn about.
1: Oh, 100%. Or how many... How many tennis balls would fit in this room
0: yeah like I, I, I couldn't even tell you where i would start but you know i think it's cool yeah um so question for you random yeah. outside of math outside right. of school do you have a favorite movie do you have a fa- fit
1: yeah the muppets christmas carol
0: really nice why that one
1: or a clue the movie um the muppets christmas carol it's just i watched it once when i was little and i was like this is awesome And so there's two movies growing up. We had a VCR growing up or a VHS tape. VCR, we would watch VHS tapes. And there were two movies in my life that are the reason I know how to use a VCR. And it is The Muppets Christmas Carol and Legally Blonde. Possibly The Black Cauldron um, and possibly some like- Black
0: Cauldron, Disney movie? Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: Like, um, there's, like, there have been, like, moments in my life where I thought that that movie was fake. Like, I couldn't believe that that movie was there. And then there was, like, some Arthur, like, VHS tape. Those were, like, my four top things to consume.
0: Arthur was great.
1: Um, Muppets Christmas Carol, it's the greatest version of the Christmas Carol ever to exist. Um, fun, like, facts about it that I know is that, um, so Michael Caine plays Scrooge. And... This was a movie that was made after Jim Henson died. So Jim Henson's nephew, whose name I don't remember, but Henson the Younger, it was like his first directorial debut. And he was so scared because he's like, oh my God, I'm gonna work with Michael Caine. And Michael Caine shows up and he's like, I'm playing the straight. So he is one of the best, and I I say this with confidence, he's probably arguably one of the best Scrooges to ever hit the cinematic Hmm. universe, playing against Kermit the Frog. Like what? It, it's brilliant. It's genius. the The songs, like the entire music, like the music is every single song is delightful. When they put it on Disney Plus, they cut one of the songs from the movie because the Disney execs decided it was too slow and sad for kids. Um, it's 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 a travesty. I am, I love that movie.
0: I love how you had one ready to go for me.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's the go to answer.
1: Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie?
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. not really we were just talking about interstellar though and that's one Mm. of the best movies i've ever seen in theaters because it was just a cool experience and chesrae's watching it this weekend but um i don't know if i have a favorite movie and jeffrey howard when he was on asked me a favorite book which is like i should have a favorite book i'm an english teacher english major english guy but i always like trip over myself when someone asks me for favorites even the question do you have a favorite podcast i was like uh I've liked all of the podcasts that we've done. Yeah. So, um, but I do like the book recommendation question because you at least get a chance to prepare it and think about it. Right. So what did you you choose?
1: So this is Gods of Jade and Shadow um, by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I picked it up at a Barnes & Noble at the start of summer. Um, It's um, based, it's set in 1920s Mexico. Um, And this idea is that this young woman releases, I wanna say the Aztec? No, the Mayan god of death, who has been trapped by his brother. Um, And he's, it's his twin brother, or like his twin brother was trapped him, has taken over the land of the dead. And there's just like this magical realism thing. It also got me a lot thinking a lot about oh, yeah, like, I don't really think about 1920s Mexico. I think about 1920s United States. I don't really think about 1920s Mexico. Um, There's this young woman who's in a very, like, conservative, patriarchal part of Mexico as she moves to Mexico City or, like, travels with this god of death. Um, I don't know. It's just, like, really interesting. This like, really beautiful story. Um, It it just made me – I loved it, and it Mm -hmm. brought me a lot of joy um, to read. And then I couldn't decide because this is also a very meaningful book. Um, really, any Tommy DePaola book.
0: I've seen that book. I've yes. definitely read that book.
1: Strega is excellent. Any Tommy DePaola book um, is one of the greatest books written of all time.
0: Isn't there one with a frog by him? Or, or
1: Maybe I recognize
0: frog. another cover like that.
1: Probably. Um, I really love Strega There's another Tommy DePaola book that I didn't have that I wish I could bring which was like, I think it was Bonjour Mr. Matisse, I don't know, it's like this whole story is basically, we're talking about the battle between Picasso and Matisse, and it was just like really cute, and it made me think about all of that, Um, it's just like a beautiful, I don't know, he's, I love his art, I love his stories, Um, and Tommy DePaula grew, I think he ended up, I think he died very recently, Um, but he went to, he ended up living in Berkeley so like right by right in our neighborhood or like right in our backyard mm. and that's always just been cool to sort of be like oh yeah real authors are near yeah me.
0: I love it um so like no, favorite childhood book am I thinking oh, of the movie. toad and the frog maybe did he write those um, frog and the toad
1: I don't think he wrote the frog and the toad
0: okay the cover kind of looks like the the, the illustrations yeah. of that cool love it yeah um What's Berkeley, like, never been? I've only heard Brian's talked about it, and I've been to San Francisco, but never over to Berkeley.
1: Fascinating. Really cool place. Um, Really social justice-oriented, really activism-oriented. It's really cool to be in a school that kind of centered, like, be in a town that built itself around the town, around the school, like, UC Berkeley or Cal Berkeley, whatever you want to call it, Cal, UC Berkeley, Cal. Um, (laughs) They, like... They were there kind of first, and then the town of Berkeley kind of built itself around it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's a really cool idea, and it's a really interesting thing because then an argument exists that Berkeley is a college town, and like technically it is, but also it's so much more than that. And I find that kind of beautiful. And like I don't know, I've just said, I've, I've described so many things as beautiful in the past like hour. That's one of my favorite adjectives. Love but it. good? It's a lovely place. It's cool.
0: a college town first, I guess. College town a,
1: first, and but it's also just more than that and really cool.
0: Beautiful cool. nature. Yeah. Well, Camila, thank you very much for uh, coming you, in today for yes. the book racks, And um, love the conversation. It was a good time.
1: Yeah, likewise. Thanks
0: thank so you. much, Jake. Of course.